2023, and the time is 9.01. This meeting is being held in person. Members of the public may attend the meeting to observe and provide public comment at the physical meeting location or by calling area code 415-655-0001 and entering the meeting ID 2660-237-2537 and access the webinar password 1234. Please ensure you're in a quiet location. Speak clearly and turn off background sounds. Wait for the item you would like to address to be called. When prompted, press star three to be added to the queue. The system will notify you when you are in line. Callers will hear silence when waiting for your turn to speak. Operator will unmute you. When prompted, callers will have the standard three minutes to provide comment. You may also watch live at www.sfgovtv.org. Item one, roll call. President Stephen Nakajo. Present. President Army Morgan. A present. I'm sorry, Vice President. Commissioner Catherine Feinstein has been excused. Commissioner Marcy Frazier. Present. And Commissioner Paula Collins has been excused. And Chief of Department Janine Nicholson. Present, uh, but remotely. President Nakajo will now read the land acknowledgement. Thank you, Madam Secretary. The San Francisco Fire Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their tradition, the Ramatush Ohlone has never ceased, lost, nor forgotten their responsibility as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all people who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. Thank you. Item two, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes on any matter within the commission's jurisdiction that does not appear on the agenda. Speakers shall address their remarks to the commission as a whole and not to individual commissioners or department personnel. Commissioners are not to enter into debate or discussion with the speaker. The lack of a response by the commissioners or department personnel does not necessarily constitute agreement with or support of state statements made during public comment. Madam Secretary, are any member of the public that wishes to give public comment? There is nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the public comment line. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Item three, approval of the minutes. Discussion and possible action to approve the regular meeting minutes of June 21st, 2023. Is there any public comment on the minutes? There is nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the public comment line. Public comment is closed. Any questions, comments from the commissioners on the approval of the minutes? I'm sorry, those are the minutes of the June 28th meeting. June 28th <coughs> meeting, Madam Secretary? Correct. On my agenda, it says June 21st. Right, but it's June 28th. All right. Was the our meeting. Frazier, yeah. you have a question. I do. It says on here, on the roll call, that Commissioner Feinstein is excused, but she's quoted in the minutes, so 
I believe she was here. All right. As far as the yes, she was thing. present. I will right. change that. Yes. All right. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Is there a motion, commissioners? I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes. Thank you, Vice President Morgan. Is there a second? I second. And President Nakasho, how do you vote? I vote aye. The motion is unanimous. Item four, Chief of Department's report. Report from Chief of Department Janine Nicholson on current issues, activities, and events within the department since the Fire Commission meeting on June 21st, 2023, including budget, academy, special events, communications, and outreach to other government agencies and the public, and report from operations, Deputy Chief Darius Lutherup, on overall field operations, including Greater Alarm Fires, Bureau of Fire Prevention and Investigation, training with the Department and Airport Division, and report from EMS and Community Paramedicine, Deputy Chief Sandra Tong, on the EMS and Community Paramedicine Divisions. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Good morning, Chief Nicholson. Uh, good morning, greetings all. President Nicajo, Vice President <coughs> Morgan, Commissioner Frazier, Chief Buttrip, Sister Maureen, and other uh, command staff that I can't currently see. Uh, Janine Nicholson, Chief of Department, this is my report since our last meeting. First of all, I would like to welcome uh, Chief Luttrup and Chief Kailoa to the command staff uh, formally. I know, uh, I believe Chief Kailoa is in Sacramento. Um, he is handling a meeting for me up there today, so thanks to him. And I'm not sure if Chief Mao is in the uh, room, but uh, welcome to Chief Mao as our new Assistant Deputy Chief of Training. And we have also hired a new um, ESER, Earthquake Safety and Emergency Response Assistant Deputy Chief to replace Chief Luttrup, and that is uh, Chief Gareth Miller. He will be with us at our next meeting. So, <clears throat> mostly we have been, uh, the command staff has just been getting into the flow of uh, working together, and uh, it's been going well. Pardon me, let me turn my phone off. Um, <clears throat> first off, I want to talk about um, uh, videos. We are looking to leverage um, some video uh, production this coming year. Uh, first, at the International Association of Fire Chiefs Conference, um, which is happening in August. Uh, they will be working on a seven-minute video for us um, that talks about our overall uh, department operations and history, uh, community paramedicine and city EMT programs. And that will run at a large conference and we'll have a really huge distribution and I think will really raise uh, the department's uh, profile nationally. We are also looking at um, using uh, SFGov TV, thank you SFGov TV, uh, for further video production this coming year, as well as our own uh, multimedia team. Um, and not just for our profile and to show who we are, but uh, also for, um, for recruitment. Um, and again, to showcase what we do. So looking forward to seeing how that uh, goes this year. I know um, a lot of the young people um, really um, uh, do watch videos, although um, 
very short videos. So we'll also be using clips of those videos um, in some of our, um, at certain times. Um, interviews, so I've been uh, doing more interviews uh, in terms of autonomous vehicle um, uh, questions from, I, I think I've done about a dozen maybe more interviews thus far. Yesterday I was interviewed by uh, NBC Investigates, NBC Bay Area Investigates. Um, I was interviewed by the uh, London Telegraph uh, last week. And so we are still getting a lot of press. I know it was in also in um, Time uh, magazine about uh, what's going on with AVs in this city. And you may have heard that the California Public Utilities Commission has has decided to delay the vote, I believe until August after July 13th. Um, so, um, but really more importantly, no real progress has been made with, um, with crews um, or other companies in terms of sitting down with us with their engineering and policy people to meet with Chief Luttrup and our operations people and so that is really, um, really disheartening. It's what we've been asking for and what we need uh, to make things better. So we'll see what happens with the vote delayed again. Speaking of interviews, um, we have also been conducting interviews. Uh, as I stated, we conducted interviews for the Division of Training and we had some really wonderful candidates and we selected uh, Chief Julie Mao Many of you, uh, you know her already from our diversity, equity, and inclusion um, office, and she was a previous um, officer at the Division of Training for years. She has also run the United Fire Service Women uh, and their training for years. So she is well-versed in uh, what needs to happen, and um, she will be working under uh, Chief Lettrup. And again, the ESER um, Assistant Deputy Chief Gareth Miller will be uh, here, I believe, next time. Uh, he's also, you may recognize him because he is also one of our search and rescue dog handlers um, and really uh, a standout uh, in that uh, capacity. We also conducted further interviews for public information officers. Um, we're gonna expand our office a little bit and we have selected Justin Shore and Mariano Elias. And we will also have um, several alternates or backups, and that will be Sukai Curtis Contreras and Sam Menchaca. That will start um, towards the end of the month, and um, uh, we are looking forward to that. They, they will start training uh, on days with um, uh, Jonathan Baxter and ultimately be um, a 24-7 operation. And that concludes my report for today. I, again, I am off to the mayor's department head meeting and Chief Luttrup is uh, prepared to take you all on. So um, thank you very much. Thank you, Chief Nicholson. At this uh, point, do we have any public comment on the chief's report? There is nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the public call in line. Public comment is closed. Commissioners, any questions before the chief goes to the mayor's office at this point? Uh, Vice yeah. President Morgan. Uh, yeah, I know uh, the chief is busy, and I'll, I'll be real quick, but I just want to make a note of it that uh, they're going to have a rally here Friday 
I think the Teamsters are uh, for uh, the against the autonomous vehicles just to be you know whoever could show up please show up you know if, that might help so this one's me yeah I think it's gonna be in the front steps at 7:30 Friday yeah. yeah the Teamsters told me yeah so maybe that would help that's all I want to say thank you vice president Morgan Commissioner Frazier. thank you yes just uh, if you could say chief a little bit more about you mentioned no progress on meeting with the autonomous vehicle uh, companies or representatives and how is that we're outreaching and they're not responding or how, how could you say a little bit more about that I'll have Chief Luttrip uh, answer that question for you okay thank you yeah thank you for the question Commissioner uh, and good morning President Cajo Vice President Morgan and uh, Commissioner Frazier and command staff uh, what we've been trying to do with the AV companies is they've, they've been fairly good partners in uh, public safety outreach and providing training for our membership and um, giving us insight on how they believe we should respond to the incidents. What we have had very little movement on is um, any response from a policy or engineering standpoint on how we can have the vehicle stop interfering with our emergency scenes and response. So the, the number of incidents is, is increasing. It is not decreasing over time, um, and that's a concern. We, our understanding would be that as the vehicles become more attuned to the streets and become better at operating in an urban environment, that we should see less interaction, negative interaction, between uh, fire vehicles and staff and the vehicles. And so um, at, a, at a level of outreach, outreach is there. But answers to policy, engineering, those kind of concerns, um, we're still waiting. Thank you. I think it's, I really appreciate that. I think it's important to have it on the record, so at that level. Thank you, Chief. Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner Fraser. Chief, uh, before you leave, I just wanted to note um, to the command staff um, that we, the commissioners, did send a letter. Um, in terms of uh, the driverless vehicles, in terms of the concerns that we had. I also wanted to acknowledge that Commissioner Frazier and Commissioner Collins wrote individual letters as well. Thank you very much for doing that, Commissioners. Um, I also wanted to uh, congratulate, and we'll see him next meeting, um, Chief Miller. And just as a point of information for you, Chief Nicholson, uh, Chief Julia Ma is here as well, and I wanted to congratulate her in terms of her appointment. Uh, my question is that as we start to prepare some uh, more resources of personnel towards the public information officer's uh, position, um, is Captain Baxter going to still remain as a public information officer as part of that team, or is there any information that you wanted to share with us about Captain Baxter? Yeah, he will be working directly with um, those folks that were onboarding. So everyone's on the same page and um, we're all singing from the same sheet of music, so yes. All right, thank you very much, Chief. That's all the questions that we have from the commissioners. Uh, good luck today and wish you well in terms of your meeting with the mayor. Thank you very much, um, Madam Secretary. Can we move to uh, Deputy Chief CD2, please? Yep. Chief Lathrop, you're up. All right, Deputy Chief Darius Lanthrop, welcome. Hi, good morning, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. This will be the operations update. Oh, I'm Deputy Chief Darius Luttrup, and uh, this will be the operations update for June 2023. 
And I'll start with the first shocker. There were no greater alarm fires in the month of June in the city of San Francisco. Um, there were, however, still uh, 21 reports fire, 107 total boxes with 17 working fires. So that is an increase of almost 100% over the low of last month. Uh, last month was kind of a remarkably low incidence of fire, but there were still greater alarms in that number. Um, with the 17 working fires, we also responded to 11 water rescue calls and four cliff rescue calls. Uh, obviously, in the summer months, the incidence of cliff and water rescue uh, increase. Um, and we are trying to make moves uh, on the operations side of the house to increase uh, our ability to respond in the water to the southeast end of the city and to other portions of the city. And we'll have more information to follow on that. Um, but this month was bookended by two fairly large water events. Uh, Chief Postel reported out the last one with our membership going into the water um, off Candlestick Point, and we had one uh, just last week in uh, Crane Cove that I'll be reporting out to you next month um, that will probably result in meritorious accommodations also. So our people are doing great work on the water. Uh, it, looking at the working fires distribution for June, uh, they were well distributed around the city. We don't see uh, a, a focus of uh, fires, um, so a good distribution. I did include some pictures in the report this time. Uh, the first picture that you'll note is from a fire that we had at 537 Vermont Street. Um, somebody in the room might be somewhat familiar with this fire. Um, I, I highlight this one because it it's this is after the fire is out and the scene doesn't appear to be very active but it does illustrate the complexity of the job in the city of San Francisco and like Chief Postel um, who said there's nobody else who does it like us I think if if you take a, a close look at this picture you can see that this company um, because of the overhead wires because of the trees because of the physical geography and the built environment um, to get that ladder into that position requires hours and hours of training requires uh, close teamwork and it, it requires having that as a plan um, I think ladder work like this um, illustrates uh, you know the the skill of the fire department but it also goes back to the training element we just completed um, a, a well-received truck academy that involved a lot of ladder work with our division of training and I think we see the results in in a, a ladder throw like this where it had to be carried upstairs it had to be throwing it just the right spot here so it wouldn't be impacted by fire and yeah I think strong work by all uh, the second picture that I put in here is not a fire picture this is a picture of a helicopter on a beach and you say well what why is there a picture of a helicopter on a beach um, this goes to our cliff and our water operations and the close work that we've been doing um, over the past few years in developing our relationship with the California Highway Patrol and uh, other helicopters. Um, so GO 23839 uh, was issued and it delineated our helicopter policy and you can see our helicopter policy in action here. There, there was no safe or efficient way for this person to be removed from the beach and uh, the helicopter was utilized effectively and I think this will be a great program going forward. Um, and more on that when we get to training. And then I cheated and threw another pretty picture in at the end, but that's a July fire. So I, I won't actually talk about that one until July. But it, it does illustrate a number, of, uh, a number of concerns that we have with hoarding conditions and with, with squatting, et cetera. So moving on to fire prevention. 
if we fast forward a little bit through the report, you can see that they're on pace with uh, the bulk of their inspections. If you find yourself on page uh, 12 and 13, you can see that uh, Fire Marshal Coughlin, who is excused from this meeting today, um, in this fiscal year, this is, this is the report out for the fiscal, which uh, they operate on. And you can see that their permit inspections by port, by district, um, they've, they've attained uh, basically 100% compliance in their permit inspection. The last one on the port property where it reads as 10% is a typo, and I'm, I apologize for not catching that. That would be 100%. So this is, this is recovering from the health emergency and COVID and our inability to do these inspections, and he's, his plan has worked, and we've fully caught up on our permit inspections. Uh, this, the summary report uh, detailing our fire loss and all that, again, is they are on the fiscal, so that will be the total for the year. Um, they've, they've approved and sent comments on the 30 ADUs, that's on page 16. This goes to um, Senate SB 9 and, uh, and to the mayor's initiative for 82,000 units of housing. They've been working closely with uh, Bureau of, of Fire Inspection, or uh, sorry, with the building department um, to find a way to streamline the process so that um, his office is allowing as many of these units to be built, but with an eye to, to our access and our ability to fight fire. If we have full buildings being built behind other buildings, um, this will require education on the part of our staff, and it, it does require some access to be protected, and he's working very hard to protect that access. Uh, our conversations continue with MTA for various streetscape changes. We got the summary report from our second head-to-head -head study from uh, Farron Pierce, um, and they did find that in areas where there were uh, multiple changes to the to the street environment, including class four bike lanes and, and others, where they they accumulated, that they were seeing uh, an effect on our response time. So that was good for us to hear. Um, so we have more to discuss on that moving forward. And that was fire prevention at the airport. With Chief Darcy, who is also excused, he's uh, he's flying back from another meeting. Um, they had. It, obviously his whole list, but kind of the sentinel events at the airport were they did have an engine fire on a plane, um, and due to the training that uh, they've been able to accomplish at the airport and their their increased operational tempo at the, air, at the airport, they were able to resolve that quickly, get the plane returned to gate without incident, and uh, all the operators at the airport were very appreciative of that. On the 13th of June, the airport uh, experienced a very significant power outage. Um, chief Darcy was integral in their, in their emergency operations and uh, Battalion Chief Francois in uh, making sure that there was zero interruption on our services at the airport due to this power outage. And I can report there was none. Um, so I wanna thank both the chiefs for that. Um, on the 16th, they, they did respond to a lithium ion battery fire at uh, TSA, um, lithium ion is obviously an emerging uh, threat in the fire service overall, and I imagine at the airport it's gonna be a, a heavy emphasis and focus. We've, we've been hearing for years, 
to take your batteries out of your bags, et cetera. So they're seeing incidences at the TSA. Uh, he has a, has a strong plan of action for increasing their ability to respond on the water. Their boats will be back in service. And once their boats are back in service, uh, we'll work on an agreement with the airport to bring those boats into our response plan for the southern end of the city also. So that'll be another huge win. Um, and I want to compliment the people who've, uh, the changes that have been made in their training division and they're, they're really streamlining it. And he has new initiatives to kind of meet more than the basic needs that they're meeting at the airport, including more technical rescue, et cetera. Um, and this will, this will increase the ability of the membership down at the airport to respond. Um, so a total of 569 incidents and I won't point out the elevator rescues this time. 28, it was, tw it was 28. Uh, and finally, the division of training, I wanna welcome Chief Mao as the director of training and uh, I know she's looking forward to crushing this job and I imagine she will. Um, the 131st class did graduate um, and it was not 45, it was 47 recruits to the field and we've already seen uh, a dramatic impact on uh, overtime and, and staffing with, with that number. I would do wanna point out, and it was probably mentioned last time, um, the, the quality of this class according to the training division and how excited they were. And thank you all for coming to the graduation, but I'm sure you heard those kind words also there. So, but everything keeps moving and now we've started a new class. So uh, on June 26th, the 132nd class started with 58 recruits um, the command staff did go and present to them and um, they looked they looked like a scared bunch of fire recruits like I'm used to seeing and I'm sure by the end they will be the saltiest dogs we have uh, ever turned out to the field. Um, we unfortunately have lost one this week to injury. So we are at 57 with the class. It, uh, the, the person who had to leave the academy is a current member. They are an employee of this department. Um, so there is that at least they maintain their employment with us. They're just uh, unable to complete the tower right now. Um, going down to the special operations portion of this on page 24, this, this lines out um, our helicopter rescue technician plan. And that, that is a general order 2340, which came with our policy and they dovetailed together. So 24 of our members were trained to work as helicopter rescue technicians. So not only do we have a policy, but now we have the training to go with that policy. Um, on page 24, it, it's something that we haven't really highlighted to my recollection in the past, but the, the things you see uh, with the rope rescue operations, the heavy machinery rollout, um, and the auto extrication, uh, the ca Captain Mancinelli who is uh, accomplishing this training is, is also on the California State Fire Marshal cadre for the development of these curriculums. And we've had membership over the last few years become more involved um, at that state level and at the national level in the development of these, these training curriculum and uh, model codes. Um, and so I do wanna highlight that in the future that the, the San Francisco Fire Department's voice is, is, is getting out into the world. So. We, we have our long history, we have our tradition. Um, we can be happy with that and we could, we could be comfortable, but we're not resting on our laurels. 
and we're bringing the message out to the state. So I want to thank uh, Kat Mancinelli for being an instrumental in the development of these programs and then bringing them back to the city of San Francisco and training our membership in them. Um, and he is, he is but one. Um, we've had members who were very uh, integral in the development of Firefighter One curriculum. I won't uh, pop my own collar, but I was on a number of these also, and Chief Kailoa as well. Um, and hopefully we can drive the message to the field and get more people involved in more aspects of the job. Uh, page 26, um, that is Chief Miller, so I left the picture in. Um, hopefully he won't double finger point like that every time at the meeting. He'll, he'll, he'll be very subdued. Um, and then finally, I want to highlight uh, the work of the fire reserves. Um, according to this report, the, the, they put in 420 hours of training this month. As a volunteer organization, 420 hours, it's, it's remarkable. And I want to thank them for putting in that work. I want to thank them for coming out and assisting in the parades we had this month. They, they, showed, they showed a strong turnout at Juneteenth. They showed strong turnout at Pride. And I want to thank them for doing that. Um, and I do appreciate the efforts of the San Francisco Fire Reserve. Um, and now, finally, if, if I can have 10 seconds of time to uh, talk about my antecedent and my predecessor. So when, when coming into this job, um, you have to think about, so what, what would you like to get done? Um, Chief Postel, as he mentioned at the last a couple fire commission meetings brought a family history to this job, a hundred years of service uninterrupted to this job, four generations of service to that job. Um, and with that comes a very high level of ownership in your profession and your career and the agency itself. I think I would like to dedicate myself to passing that on to the membership if I can. I also feel that sense of ownership. I'm the first Luttrup in this fire department. I was not born and raised in this city, but I love the city and it is mine. This fire department is mine. We have an opportunity in that we talk about generational change and we talk about the motivation of people to work and the things that they're looking for in career and life. We have one of the last great professions to really inspire and, and provide that sense of ownership and um, dedication to a job and a service, you know, much like being a nurse is, is, it's still one of those careers too, right? A lot of the trades are still that career, but we have a fairly unique career and I'd like to keep, keep that sense of ownership moving uh, while I'm in this mission. I'd also would be remiss if I didn't point out that if Chief Postel had come from a family of circus folk, he would have been a great trapeze artist. If he had come from a family of bakers, he would have made tremendous confections. The man is uh, a sharp intellect and throws himself wholly into what he did and does. He's off doing something great right now somewhere else. Um, and I hope I can bring that to the job also. And thank you for your time. All right, thank you very much, Chief. Uh, at this point, we'll take public comment on CD2's report, Madam Secretary. There is nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the call-in line. Public comment is closed. Commissioners, questions, comments to CD? 
to Chief Lumthrop at this point. Thanks for your report, uh, Chief Lumthrop, and uh, congratulations on your new uh, position. I'm sure you'll do fine. And uh, you had the uh, benefit of coming up under Chief Postel, so I know that will reflect uh, in your performance as well, which is a benefit to all of us and uh, your own achievements as well. Um, uh, your report had good news, uh, no, no greater alarm fires, so that's great. <laughs> so lucky, lucky June for us there. So Chief, that's always. Chief Postel scared away all the fires. At the, yeah, at I guess, uh, him and Chief O'Connor, uh, they retired, so the fires knew uh, when to lay low. So in honor of those gentlemen, so that, that's great. Um, I had uh, one question uh, when it comes to uh, uh, the report. fire prevention uh, and, and uh, yeah in the fire prevention section uh, where um, in the fire complaints on page seven uh, the the total uh, open uh, accounts were, uh, were very high in 2022 am I reading that wrong or why was it so high in 2022 and it, it, it diminish quite considerably uh, towards uh, June of 2023. Did you see uh, those numbers on page seven? Yeah, so I see the numbers. I'm, I'm not clear on which line we're referring to. Under fire complaints, uh, well, the first couple of columns, if you look under 2022, uh, the numbers are so high at 12. Yeah, 9-11, 11-31, 12-22. Uh, okay. Yeah, it just seemed kind of. Yeah, thank you for the question. And unfortunately, uh, Fire Marshal Coughlin is not here. He's on a well-deserved vacation. Um, this, this is that bridge period where uh, the complaints that would have been opened and not pursued during the health crisis, during the COVID emergency, um, they, this is the backlog, essentially. So the number 1129, 1140, um, the, the new received, uh, the second column, um, you can see it, it kind of, the trend isn't, isn't necessarily higher right. there. Okay. So it, this is just them addressing the backlog, and they've, okay. they've worked hard on addressing the backlog. Okay. It just seemed out of whack there. Like, yeah. what, what the why was 2022 so bad <laughs> you know, compared to 2023? Okay. Yeah, but you, you can see uh, by the end of 22 how they've really jumped on it and they've addressed the problem and again, it's all. Yeah, so the high-rise high inspections looked at great and the uh, school inspections looked at great and the residence inspections looked at great. So uh, that was a good report. So basically that's all I got, and thank you for your report. Okay. Thank, thank you. you very much, Vice President Morgan, Commissioner Frazier. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Chief Lettrup. Am I saying your name correctly? Yeah, hopefully it's the most controversial thing about my tenure. My name is pronounced Lettrup, yes. Thank Just you. Just getting started. Yes, <clears throat> thank you for your report. Really appreciated it. Welcome to that chair. Um, 
I have to just say that it's so impressive what we do with cliff, water, helicopter, trucks, hill. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. And you've pointed that out. But I constantly feel that again and again. Um, one question on the helicopter. You mentioned something, some collaboration with the CHP. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, and I can make uh, the general order and the policy available to you if, you, if you'd like, A23 or 23A39. Um, it it kind of just, it had been an ad hoc policy, right? It had been, um, they were available to us. Um, they did respond. We were working with them, but we needed to just work together. It's, it's not like an MOU. It's just a, a method of operation so that we understand um, the terms and when people can fly and when they can't fly and um, it, it, yeah it's been a good collaboration we also work closely with obviously the US Coast Guard um, we don't have a similar document in place but we we have similar policies in place and strong communication with them that's that's terrific there's a lot of other equipment that is available I'm sure our fire department has no problem uh, commandeering that and one final question which was you mentioned the lithium batteries at the airport. Do you anticipate any kind of policy that needs to be changed about those as far as what we're all carrying onto planes right now? So the incident at the airport kind of illustrates the overall problem in that there is policy in place and that batteries like that aren't supposed to be in carry-on or checked luggage or, you know, Perhaps they are in a laptop, but not as part of a smart bag, or there's, there's various rules. Um, it's not that the batteries are becoming more unsafe, that there isn't policy to address it. It's just that they're becoming more commonplace, and they are a new source of ignition for fires uh, that we are seeing. And they, they have unique properties. Once, once they have thermal runaway and once they are burning, they're very difficult to extinguish and they do create a, a very toxic environment. Um, but yeah, for, for the purposes of the airport and TSA, there are already multiple policies. Thank you. Thank you very much, great report, and I look forward to more. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much, Commissioner Frazier. <clears throat> uh, Chief Lumthrop, thank you very much for your comprehensive report. Um, I appreciate your uh, presentational format. I uh, also appreciate your references to pages as you give your report so that we, uh, the commissioners, can refer to it. I appreciate that you mentioned the airport power outage, which to me was significant. And uh, thank you for that update as well. I uh, also uh, wanted to thank you for your reference, again, in page references, but when you talked about page 25 in the helicopter and noted uh, Chief Miller, uh, the helicopter, the rope training, and the emphasis of that. Uh, I think that's very important that led us or myself in terms of the report um, to page 29, which talked about NERT, and we did have a presentation on NERT uh, most recently with uh, Captain Tom. And this is all a division of training. I wanted to acknowledge and publicly recognize and congratulate Chief Ma in terms of uh, her appointment as Chief of Training Division as well. 
Uh, it's interesting because as you made your references to the fire reserve on page 29, excuse me, page 31 all the way through with photos, 32, 33, uh, that um, we just had a recent uh, conversation, myself and Vi Vice President Morgan, on the fire reserves. And so to emphasize the 420 hours and what they do uh, is very important. And um, again, uh, just as a point of information, uh, Chief Maul, I did ask Commander Buckley uh, when he would feel comfortable about coming in front of the commission and doing the presentation. And he did remark that somewhere around August, September, when they have uh, another uh, opportunity for uh, membership that uh, perhaps that would be an ideal time to do that, but that, that will also uh, help us in the commission <clears throat> be more familiar with the work of the fire reserves. Uh, so I just wanted to uh, note that as well. Thank you very much uh, for this report. And uh, at this point, uh, I think we've concluded with your report at this point. Madam Secretary, we're scheduled at this point to have uh, DMS and Committee Paramedics and Deputy Chief that is correct. Tong present. Good morning, Chief Tong. Uh, good morning, President Nakajo, Vice President Morgan, Commissioner Frazier, Deputy Chief Latrup, Command Staff Maureen, uh, Sandy Tong, Deputy Chief of EMS and Community Paramedicine. Thank you. Uh, so for the month of June, EMS Division, um, ADC Niels Tangerlini, Chief Tangerlini, uh, we averaged about 357 calls uh, this last month, and that was pretty much the same as what we um, did in May, um, with just a slight decrease from April. Uh, basically, uh, not much has changed. Uh, one day we saw over 400, but that was, that was all that day. Um, on June 8th, members of the EMS command staff and our field providers participated in a tabletop MCI drill that was conducted by our local EMSA um, at their offices. So this was a drill that um, mimicked an explosion and an active shooter situation uh, where there was about 130 patients. And so it was really an opportunity for us to work with um, the EMSA, the um, representatives from the Department of Public Health's um, emergency preparation and response team, also known as PEPPER, and then the um, San Francisco Medical Examiner's Office. And they basically walked through the scenario of um, how they would manage this type of an event, and basically from when the event occurred all the way through what would be happening at the hospital. This is just a really um, early exercise for um, folks to be able to better um, practice what might happen in such a large-scale drill, um, and then in preparation for a much more functional drill, which would be hopefully live. I think there was something that was scheduled for later on this year that's been postponed. Um, but all of these opportunities for us to practice these types of um, events are significant and helpful. Um, and then on June 25th, members of the uh, command staff, um, EMS division, um, all participated in the um, the Pride Parade. This is the first year that we actually had an ambulance um, as part of the um, contingent. So we we're very happy to see um, all of our folks um, supporting that event. Um, on June 30th, the EMS division hosted 25 high school students. They were participating in the mayor's um, youth program called Operation Genesis. Uh, this is a program to introduce high school members um, on all aspects of public safety. And so all of them were able to um, practice some hands-on 
CPR, some stop the bleed exercises. Um, and so it was just a great time for all of um, us to be able to show them um, what it is that we do. We had uh, Lieutenant Segura there in the picture um, also talking to the crews and letting them know um, what we do. So in your report this uh, month, um, I asked Chief Tangrelini to um, highlight a, a particular uh, type of incident that we respond to. And so this month, um, he um, provided some information on cardiac arrests. And so I just wanted to give you all a summary of what that is. It just, just gives you a picture of some of the more significant events that our members go to daily. And, um, and then at some point, we'll probably be able to give you a little bit more detail about what really goes into how we actually uh, run a cardiac arrest. This, um, it's a timely issue. It's, um, it's time consuming um, if we can um, potentially stabilize and save somebody who is in cardiac arrest. So it's just a very um, you know, intense situation and I think um, we just want to be able to give all of you a little bit better picture of what that is. Um, but during the month of June, um, the EMS division uh, treated 146 cardiac arrests. Or, they responded to 146 cardiac arrests. And of these, um, resuscitation was attempted on 51 of those. Uh, 40 of them were transported to the hospital. Uh, 11 of them were terminated in the field, which basically meant we did all of the things that we could do, but unfortunately, we we're not able to revive them. We report all of this cardiac arrest data to the CARES database. Um, that means the Cardiac Arrest Registry to Enhance Survival Database. Uh, the CARES uh, database is a national database, and that's for all non-traumatic out-of-hospital cardiac arrests that, um, where resuscitation is um, done by a 911 provider. And so this includes patients that receive an AED shock, possibly by a bystander prior to our arrival, um, uh, 911 arrival. Um, so California is one of, I think, about 30 um, states that participate in this. So it really gives you a good picture of, you know, when we start comparing data, how we're doing um, with all of that and how we compare it to what the national um, data looks like. Uh, so uh, this month we reported 27 patients um, that had a witness cardiac arrest. That means that there was um, somebody who was there that saw this person collapse, go into cardiac arrest, called 911, and we were able to respond. Um, six of those um, that were shocked with a defibrillator, 17 that had uh, CPR um, by bystanders or an AED, and of those patients, um, 19 of them had return of spontaneous circulation, which means we were able to get a, a pulse back or a blood pressure. Um, so if you look at all of that, um, of the 19 that we um, got that had return of spontaneous circulation, um, out of the 51 that we tried resuscitations, that equaled to about a 38% um, rate, which is, which is great. Um, next month, we'll um, try and do a little bit more of a comparative between um, how we are doing San Francisco and then what um, we compared to, to the national uh, level. Uh, for community paramedicine with um, Assistant Deputy Chief um, Simon Pang, these are our June highlights. Uh, so uh, during the month of June, we uh, graduated 10 members. Um, these are Station 49 EMS uh, paramedics who participated in the fifth cohort of the community paramedicine course. Uh, this is a six-week uh, training, and it was led by Captain Dan Nazaretta, and he was supported by our EMS Lieutenant Scott Ward. So since uh, 2017, um, we've been able to train 72 of our members into community paramedicine, uh, which we believe is the highest uh, community paramedicine training program in the state. 
in terms of our Suboxone, uh, we also have a multi-agency quality improvement group. And so our CP and EMS division captains and medical directors um, are continuing to meet and um, we, uh, meet with other agencies that are uh, doing also Suboxone in the field. And since we've added paramedics to our scope, we've been able to um, have 20 starts, 20 Suboxone starts um, in the field. And um, according to our data, this um, is outpacing our Contra Costa colleagues. Uh, they average about one Suboxone start per week, and we are at about 1.6. Um, and then also, um, I think you may have seen that there is a mayor's um, press release that said that um, our paramedics, our community paramedics, will be um, providing or being able to um, place 5150 holds in the field. Um, we've been training all of those members through DPH. Um, they've also gotten in service by our um, Section Chief of Operations, April Sloan. And so now, um, as of Monday, we're um, having some of those community paramedics be able to provide um, or place 5150s in the field. And then this is a regular um, snapshot of uh, some of the data that um, is also included in the report. Uh, one thing to note, um, just that we wanted to call out that's not actually represented in this little chart, um, is that the um, street crisis response team request for police is only at about 1.2%. Um, and that's, you know, that's a really great metric. Um, we've been, you know, sort of responding to these behavioral health emergency calls sort of in lieu of the police. Um, and it seems like that's been the appropriate call because we're not needing to call police to assist us with these um, types of incidents. Um, the other thing I just wanted to uh, let you all know is we onboarded a new data analyst. And so some of the data that you're seeing in your reports we're thinking will be revised. We'll be able to give you a better picture, maybe more of a trend, um, and you know, look back of what's happened in the previous months so that you can kind of see how we're changing and improving. Um, and he's going to also be working on uh, some new dashboards for us, uh, more public-facing dashboards that um, we will be putting out there. Um, so more to follow with um, what he's going to be um, doing. But he just started uh, this week, so we'll give you a little bit more once he uh, gets on board. And then finally, I just wanted to, and send your report as well, uh, just to call out one of uh, the incidents that happened in the last month where it was just a collaborative effort between EMS, CP, suppression, and even um, bystanders. So on June 27th, two individuals were found unconscious and unresponsive of a suspected overdose. Um, they required Narcan and CPR. There were two civilians, off-duty Seton ER staff, who assisted with the CPR and the Narcan administration prior to the Engine 26 um, response, Medic 52 and Medic 66, and then they were backed up by SCRT3 and CP5 um, in treating both of those patients. Uh, one of those patients was able to receive ROSC um, and was able to um, talk on his way to the hospital. Um, he is expected to have a great recovery. Um, the second patient is still in the ICU and um, is a little bit more dicey. But um, this is just a, a sort of one of those incidents where all of our um, responders came together and, um, and saved a life. And that's my report. Thank you very much, uh, Chief Tom. And Secretary, is any public comment on CD4's report? There is nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the call-in line. Thank you very much. Public comment is closed. Commissioners? Uh, yeah, I'll go over. Vice President Morgan? Thanks for your report, uh, Chief Tong. Uh, I just wanted to ask you a general question. You know, um, I know somewhere I was reading here about uh, the cardiac arrest and the numbers. 
Um, out of that, the number, was it 146 here, cardiac arrests for the month of June? That's um, the number of reported cardiac arrests that we were okay. dispatched to. <clears throat> at, at, you know, ballpark figure, out of those numbers, how many you think was drug-related or drug-induced? Or, uh, you we don't any, have that data. You don't have that? They're just no, not offhand anyways. you think? Yeah. Say that again? Just natural causes or just... I mean, def I, I'm assured that some of them are overdoses. Uh -huh. um, we just don't know how what that number is. I was is. just curious. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, yes, and uh, <clears throat> it was good to hear the uh, report about the Boston firefighter or whatever, the chief of Boston uh, firefighter department uh, giving us some kudos for uh, one of his relatives that got mm -hmm. sick here and got to experience the great service from the yes. San Francisco Fire Department. So that's, that's always good and makes us Very look much. good. And I appreciate that. And uh, other than that, I think uh, it's a great report. And thank you for your information. Thanks. Thank you very much, Vice President Morgan, Commissioner Frazier. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Chief Tong. Very interesting report. I really appreciated it. Uh, starting with the end of your report, <clears throat> that scene with the two civilians on the ground or citizens on the ground and all the people who happened to be there and who showed up because they were called. It's like a movie script. Yeah. You couldn't make this up. Mm -hmm. that, that's an amazing, an amazing thing. I'm assuming that, I mean, I don't know if this is kept track or if it's even possible what the overdoses are due to or you just assume they're generally either fentanyl or heroin I mean so the basically. medical examiner um, does re uh, uh, pr uh, provide a report every month on um, the overdoses and how many um, they've you know the cases that they've closed um, that have been um, proven to be um, whether it's fentanyl or a combination there's a lot of those that um, have combined um, drugs um, in them, but um, but they're able to kind of tease out the number of um, deaths that are related to specific um, drugs. I think that's interesting too. <clears throat> There's a lot of you're doing a lot of calls. It's just an amazing volume of work that's accomplished by your your group every single day. That's <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. I congratulate everybody on that, and also just you know beginning to coordinate with other areas of our city bureaucracy and services to find out, getting to root causes and coordinating. I think, I know that you're doing that and I really appreciate that. I wanna just call that out, the difficulty and the complexity of that, but how important it is for all of us as a city to move forward in trying to solve or at least address this problem that 457 calls a day represent. Agreed. It's just incredible, so appreciate your report. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Commissioner. Frazier, thank you very much, Chief Tong, for your comprehensive report. Uh, I just have a few uh, questions of clarification. Uh, in terms of uh, the community paramedicine division highlights, uh, you reported that we have trained 72 community para paramedics. Is our fire department um, one of the few, or is there other paramedicine divisions in other cities comparative to ours? or? Are we different or standalone in terms of that term? Yes, I can ask uh, Chief Payne to come up and he might have a little bit more specifics on the number of cities that might have community paramedicine programs. Okay, thank you, Chief Tong. 
Welcome. Good morning, Chief Peng. Good morning. Thank you for the question, President Nakajo, Vice President Morgan, Commissioner Fraser, Chief Lettrup, Marine Command Staff. I don't have a hard number for the number of community paramedic programs currently in the city. Um, at the high point, I believe there are as many as 12. Um, right off the top of my head, uh, the city of Alameda has a community paramedic program um, that was trained by our chief, Tangerlini. Um, there are some in Southern California. We are by far the largest group in California, as confirmed by um, the state EMS agency. Okay, so chief, uh I'm led to believe that we are pioneers, if that's the word properly fitted in terms of the com term community paramedics with the formalization of our EMS-6 street crisis response team, street overdose response team. Is that accurate to say that we, San Francisco Fire Department, are part of uh, this new frontier of paramedicine? Uh, not only were we, well, I think we were actually a latecomer to the pilot program of community paramedicine. Um, but once we did join, we were immediately in the forefront. Our call volume is much greater than all the other programs. Um, so um, an early pioneer since, in the sense that EMS-6 was started in 2004. Um, and now um, we are definitely in the forefront of the community paramedic uh, push nationwide. Um, so pioneer and, and also um, front runner. All right. Using the term pioneer and front runners in terms of uh, other cities, do they have street crisis response teams or street overdose response teams, i.e., in terms of our community paramedic division? Uh, please repeat the question. I'm trying to find out if we are one of the few cities that has a street crisis response team or street overdose response teams, other than comparative to other cities. I see. Nationwide, there are many mobile crisis response units. There are many different configurations for that. Um, here in California, in Southern California, there are a number of departments that have chosen to employ nurse practitioners instead of community paramedics. So I would say that similar to um, um, VHS or um, Betamax, um, we don't know what's going to be, what's going to end up in the end. Um, I believe that community paramedicine is the route to take because it elevates our own workforce, and we are trained and qualified to, to do the work. That that um, first of all, the here in San Francisco, our mission is is primarily frequent utilizer. Other programs throughout the nation have other programs that have to do with post hospital discharge or hospice care and and many other types. Um, so for us, these patients, these individuals are, are our patients. No one else in the city knows or is as concerned with the outcome of these individuals more than we are. So it makes sense that we, our own members, should be the ones that are tasked with finding a solution and how to help people get into you know, better care. Okay, so the 72 members that we have in community paramedics is a large workforce that we have, the largest workforce at this present time? I, I believe we have the largest workforce in the state of California. Not all 72 m members that are community paramedics and trained are currently working on our units. Um, so 72 is the total. I think the total number of people actually working is somewhere in the mid-40s. All right. All right. Thank you for that. I just want to ask one more clarification question. 
on our docket in terms of uh, it's page eight, nine, but it's under uh, street crisis response team is operational period uh, June 1st to June 30th. Call for services, 1,170 um, calls. It has an average response time. It has an average on scene time. But in the columns disposition, all calls for services, there's a categorical called remain in the community, and that number is 486. Underneath that is unable to locate. That's a number of 179. Under that, there's a walk away of 62. Um, I'm trying to understand completely the remain in the community of 486 combines the unable to locate with the walkaways. No, that those are separate, um, separate dispositions. Remain in community would be people that we have a meaningful engagement with, and that individual has chosen to remain in the community okay. versus us transporting them to another system of care. Okay. Um, unable to locate that we simply, we didn't identify anybody. Walked away would be what we consider, um, we, we wanna highlight it so we have its own row, but it's somebody that they saw us arrive and they just left the scene before we could actually engage them, speak to them, or even know their name. And this occurs with some frequency, as you can see. So we want we want to highlight that, but yet we also um, like if the, the second um, graph is disposition of engaged individuals, and we leave those walkaways out of that because we feel that it, we should not be um, penalized for not having a positive outcome for someone who chose not to even meet with us. All right, I appreciate that differentiation, and I appreciate the clarity in terms of that because. I agree that these are categoricals that we would be interested in. Now, again, it helps this commissioner to understand exactly uh, what's going on with uh, our members as they go out there in the field and deal with our clients in terms of uh, our service calls. So thank you very much for that. Thank you very much, Chief Tong, for your presentation as may, well. May I ask one more question? I'm sorry, Frazier. Chief Tong or anyone, <clears throat> everyone, uh, which, I neglected to ask before, but I had highlighted this in the report on page nine about, it's in the middle there, resource, referrals offered, connections made, and connection Come rate. Come back, Simon. Come back with your report. Come back, <laughs> yeah. On page nine. Uh, Commissioner Frazier, I'm sorry, I did not hear your question. I thought it was directed oh, to the I haven't gotten on. there yet. I just oh, had okay. a question about right. that middle section on page nine words, resource, referrals offered, connection made. And connection rate is where my question is. And so going down the right-hand side, uh, the percentages are pretty good down to about shelter short term. And then it starts a precipitous drop all the way down from there. Um, and specifically, the substance abuse dual diagnosis treatment is only a 13% connection rate. Now, I'm not saying you're not doing everything you can do, because I've been out with the MSX. <laughs> I've seen how hard they work to connect people, but I'm assuming, or maybe you can tell me, one of the reasons that it is, is a lower, uh, such a low percentage uh, and a low number, is people just don't want 
to go or it's just not available. No beds, they're closed, no staff, whatever it is. Thank you for the question. The single most, um, the biggest barrier that we face in trying to help people that we engage is that people don't want what we have to offer. Mm -hmm. That is the number one problem and we do not have the ability to compel people unless they meet the 5150 criteria. So that's the number one thing. Um, we have a separate reporting um, area for when we offer a resource to someone, the individual accepts it and it is not available. And um, I don't have those numbers directly mm -hmm. in front of me at the moment, but, but this does not address that. This okay. would just be the connection rate for when we offer it and they accept it. Okay, and then at some point, now we have more people trained in, uh, and certified to put someone on a 5150 hold. Um, will that be in the report attempts and successes as far as encounters that we have? Uh, yes, that's under street crisis response. That would be under the group 5150. Um, this is simply the total number of holes that have been written in the month of June. I see. So that's for the month, grave disability, self-harm, harm to others. The total is 26. Yes. A month. Okay. Yes. And um, this does not include those times when we assess someone for a 5150 and chose not to write mm -hmm. it because we felt the person did not meet the criteria. Mm -hmm. We have those numbers and we could get those to you mm -hmm. if you would like. And when, <clears throat> when they are um, deemed eligible or qualify for 5150 hold, how much success we have at getting them into a facility that is capable of caring for that person? Well, all of our receiving hospitals in San Francisco accept people on psychiatric holds. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's not, the, that's not a, a, a difficult thing for us. We, we okay. transport everybody, everybody by an ambulance and we take them to one of our nine receiving hospitals. The difficult part, the challenging part is how long does that person stay at the hospital, and we are working on that. We we would like to have it, it's it's more it's larger than what the fire department can do. We need um, a lot of city agencies working together to get this data. But what we'd like to do is be able to demonstrate which hospitals keep people the longest, which hospitals um, dismiss a fifty one fifty within an hour. I think that would be very informative. Yeah, and, and, and I know that's not anything that you're not doing, that this is just, I'm just wondering the effort that goes into qualifying somebody and assessing somebody for 5150 and then delivering them someplace and then they're <laughs> discharged in an hour. I'm sure that's... It's very, very frustrating. Of course. Anyway, thank you so much for answering my question. You're very welcome. Chief. Chief Peng, can you hold for a second? I might have a follow-up. Vice President Morgan, did you have any questions? Uh, well, no, I didn't. Okay. Thanks for your report. All right, one more clarification. A 5150 hold is for 72 hours maximum? That's correct. It is up to what the physician and the hospital staff to determine whether they release them within less than 72 hours? That's correct. It, it, uh, it means that they have to be evaluated by a psychiatrist. Um, 
and the psychiatrist has the ability to decide if they want to extend that for the full 72 hours, and then even after that, if they want to extend it on the 52-50 for 14 days. There are some of our hospitals where the emergency room physicians have been authorized to do that assessment in lieu of a psychiatrist. All right, so in the reference to Commissioner Fraser's question or comments or in terms of what you answered, it's up to the staff at the hospital if they release somebody within a time period less than hour or two hours. And the, the problem is, is that we, the department, don't have knowledge base in terms of when that happens. That person is released out in the, the community. That's right. right. We do not have access to that information. All right. All right. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much, Chief Tong. Appreciate it. All right, Madam Secretary. Item five, public comment on item six. Public comment on all matters pertaining to item six below, including public comment on whether to hold item six B and C in closed session. All right, Madam Secretary, uh, any public comment on item five? There's nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the call-in line. All right, so public comment is closed on that item. At this point, we need to uh, Ask the public and the command force and the members here to vacate the chamber so that we need to vote on whether to conduct items six B and C in closed session. This right. is an action item. All right. I'd like to make a motion that we put it in closed session. All right. Thank you for that, uh, Vice President Morgan. Second, the motion. Very, very much for the second, uh, President Nakasha. How do you vote? I vote aye. This meeting is going in closed session at ten ten. All right. Thank you very much, members. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
I believe we are back in open session. The time is 11.08. There is nothing to report and item two is vote to elect whether to disclose any or all discussions held in closed session as specified in San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.12A. Commissioners? I'd like to make a motion that we uh, uh, keep in closed session not to or not to, to disclose. To not disclose, okay. Yeah. And I'll second that. And President Nakajo, how do you vote? I vote aye. The motion is unanimous. Item seven, adjournment. Before we adjourn, I'd like to adjourn in memory of a former fire commissioner, Larry Griffin, who passed recently. Uh, I also would like to adjourn in memory of the two firefighters that perished in uh, a ship fire uh, back east coast. Uh, and at this point, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.